You know what you need to do, Buzz, is you need to get Disco Inferno loaded in there so that we mm. can play that on the podcast. We could do that. Hi, this is Steve Riles, longtime FC Dallas season ticket holder and unabashed third degree fan. Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90, your source for FC Dallas, U.S. national team, and international club gear. New arrivals have been landing daily, including fresh Adidas FC Dallas tees. Check out all the new arrivals on Soccer90.com and use code ThirdDegree at checkout to receive 20% off your order. Some exclusions may apply. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious and Celebratory fan. Welcome to another episode of Third Degree, the podcast number, please. 153. Whoa, look at us. Uh, I'm, I'm, I don't know what to say. Our team won. <laughs> yeah. We won a game, guys. Hi, it's me, Peter, and uh, alongside here on this pod via the miracle of the internet, first Dan Crook. Hello, Dan. Hi, Peter. I was a little bit confused and thought you said uh, FC Dallas Curious and Celibacy fan, which just sounds weird. <laughs> it would fit, though, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. That would be, no, it, no, it would be a sad FC Dallas oh. Celibacy fan. Okay, well. He's out the, there on the Twitters. And there he is, the guy that agreed with me way too quickly, the <laughs> editor and founder of ThirdDegree.net, the great Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hi, hi, Peter. Um, as I said on my instant reaction, uh, I, I love winning. It's you know like better than losing. Winning is fun. I said this uh, in the moments after Twitter. I was at the game Saturday night, and I was in the stands, and I've been following this team for the better part or more than 25 years. And when Alan Velasco went on that 60-yard uh, messy-like run and scored that goal, that now has to be one of the greatest moments in this club's history. And I was really, really glad to be there. And boy, what a way to uh, greet your new fan base. Yeah, I, I, I had multiple people mention to me that that was you know, the best moment that they'd been at. And then the crowd reaction was better than it's been in a long, long time. You know, I, I will tell you that... Um, the media interest in this kid is higher than we've seen from a while. Now, a lot of it is, of course, Hispanic media, which is certainly acceptable as well. You know, it's probably even more the core audience for this club. Really, it should be than perhaps English language even is, to be fair. Uh, and there's people that really want to see what this kid's got and, and, and tension is climbing. And I don't I don't blame him for that because the kid is phenomenal i mean i told you that i was really impressed with him in, from training and and he delivered everything i thought he would in the game i mean the goal was obviously a bonus but even just his play was exactly what i was expecting yeah that uh that goal was really the stuff of dreams i mean to come in and play in your first game and not just to score a goal but to score a goal in that manner against that particular defense uh, it really is quite incredible. In fact, I must admit, when the goal was scored, I began laughing maniacally so loudly and so over the top that people stopped and looked at me. It's a true story. I like, believe it. Yeah, it's true. I was yeah. <laughs> I was that delighted by the whole thing. It was very yeah. much a Mr. Burns-esque uh, moment on my part. So, Dan, it doesn't get much better than that, does it, bud? It certainly doesn't. I, I'm picturing that right now, and it's uh, 
magical thing. I bet you were doing the hand gesture too, the excellent. After a few fist pumps, there was a lot of uh, uh, maniacal hand wringing going on, rubbing, you know, rubbing your fists together. Just <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the evil plan is coming to fruition. It's happening. Yeah. It's happening. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was really good, and and I, you know, uh, Dan, is there one element about his game that you noticed in this mere maybe thirty minutes that you enjoyed more than the other part? It was actually a lot of his. Uh... A lot of his off the ball stuff that I I, I liked. Um, you know, he seems a really humble kid and really respectful. Uh, after the game, he talked about you know uh, getting uh, Kenyon and um, and Hara's opinions on things, going up to Hara before the penalty, and you know giving him some words of encouragement, not doing the hey hey I'm the I'm the record signing here. I want this. Okay, uh, hold just, on a second. Uh, wait, wait, stop for one second, because I read your review of the game, and I thought, I swear I read that he asked Hara to take the penalty kick, and that's what that back and forth was, was him trying to sell Hara on him making the P- taking the PK. Is that not Was that not reported correctly originally? I didn't hear that. That may have been something said in Spanish. I just like that after it was all said and done, when Hara was putting the ball down on the spot, he goes up to him and says a few words. I think that's, ah. uh, you know, I, th- I think that that tells a, uh, a good attitude um, of a good attitude. We've we've seen a, a few bad ones over over time when it's come to penalties and and those glory moments. So uh, it's, a, it's a good start from a. A young kid. I was especially impressed. You know, he he goes up to he chases Zimmerman down to want to swap his jersey. I thought that was uh, that that was kind of cool. Identifying, hey, this is a guy who plays on the national team, who's you know was head and shoulders above just about everyone in the game, uh, literally and figuratively. And uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, short FC was on full display that Saturday night. Yeah. We'll talk Damn. more about Zimmerman so. here in a, in a few minutes. Um, uh, yeah, I'm kind of glad to hear you tell that version of the event because I swear somewhere, I don't remember where, or maybe I heard it, or, or maybe I'm making this up and I was just assuming that little back and forth between him and Hara on the PK was him trying to sell himself to take it because it went it went on pr- for a pretty good while before Hara finally looked at it. I thought, at least I got the impression he was like, no, kid, this is mine, go away. But maybe that's not how it went down. Buzz, did you hear anything differently? Well, you're right that he did say that in some quotes. I did not hear the interview myself, but he said that he wanted to take it. Um, I, I don't specifically remember that that the, him saying at the end, you know, hey, go go get it, Franco, and I'll, I'll take Dan's word for that on that because I wasn't paying attention to that. So um, I was worried about whether Franco Hart was going to miss it or not. I just assumed Franco <laughs> Hart would take it because Franco <laughs> considers him a PK specialist, so he's going to want it. You know, he's going to want to get a goal and get going. So I, I'm, I'm not... That's actually the player that I would assume would take it, and the player that I would expect to take it, and the player I would want to take it would be Frank O'Hara. There's no, you know, I don't care that it, you know. Listen, I, I think the world of this kid Velasco. I do not want a 19 year old kid in his first game taking the PK. I want Frank O'Hara no. taking the PKs. I do, yeah. and let me say something because out of all of this, the one thing I had to- completely forgotten is that Hara is Argentinian. Like I had completely yeah. forgotten that, and yeah. and it's very clear that between him and Quinone, those two guys are really important to Velasco and his kind of getting settled and acclimated here. Yeah, what's fascinating, and this I actually considered doing a, a burn on this, and then I decided to save it for today. 
Um, and that's, as Dan has hinted at, that his humbleness, it's absolutely fascinating to me that this kid is apparently shy, Velasco, that he doesn't necessarily like all the attention and doesn't like this anointed one stuff. And it, it, he is reluctant to put himself forward in, in a public way, not in terms of play on the field. He's very willing to put himself forward in that way. But it's the public stuff. Like even like if you watch the clips of the hat thing in, in the post game, he seems a little reluctant to do that, you know. And Frank was like, "No, no, put it on," you know. So um, and from things this I've heard the, from inside the club, this is, this is the fans' silly thing. We we yeah. have to do it. Go put the stupid hat on. Yeah, <laughs> you know. But also, you know, just in, also just do it because it's kind of fun. People like it, you know. But that's some well, some stuff I've heard from inside the club too. Is that he's not looking for the spotlight that he doesn't want that attention necessarily. I mean, he's going to get it. Don't get me wrong. And the, the club has tweeted to that stupid goal, like 30 times since then to which yeah, I, don't I don't blame them. The hype is I real. I mean, him. yeah, he made the team of the week off of 20, 30 or whatever it was, 26 minutes. Cause that goal's a banger. But, and, and listen, you, you cannot help it when you watch him play and you think Argentina, your mind immediately goes messy because the styles are the same. I'm not saying, and no one's going to say that he's that good, but stylistically he reminds you of him and the way he plays. And so people are going to jump all over that. The hype is going to be unreal on this kid. And I hope he's mentally tough. I have no idea. I've never talked to him, you know, and we're going to find out because I think that the magnifying glass is going to go up. Memeless doesn't have the crowd's, craziness that sometimes Argentina has, but I think there's a bigger focus here, a bigger magnifying glass here that people realize as this club, this league is now a big feeder league, you know, and people are going to notice if he starts banging in goals at this kind of clip, you know, I mean, his first game, of course, but um, it's going to be fun. And it's, it's so fascinating to see him be shy and his dance at humble relative to some other players that we've seen, seen come in here that have not been remotely shy or humble either one. Well, you know, in Dan's article, you make Dan, you make the uh, analogy to Mauro Diaz and the differences between the two, and maybe now would be a, this would be a good place to kind of expand on that a little bit for those who haven't read the article. Yeah, um, you know, I, I think we all knew one thing for um, uh, at least from the the fan side of things was those uh, sad Mauro hashtags because everyone could kind of see Mauro wasn't always invested; he was. Uh, you know, a guy who would get clipped and stay down for a while would, you know, maybe take a game out if wasn't the best trainer. I don't think he ever actually got his, in five years, got his driver's license or moved from the first rental property, uh, which, you know, kind of screams like, oh, this is temporary. Um, you know, uh, Velasco seems to have really bought into it, which, uh, considering there were the rumors of, of him not wanting to leave Independiente to come to here. Um, you know, he seems all in. He wants to be part of it. Um, and that's a relief based on the fact that maybe initially we oh. had thought we had heard that maybe he didn't want to be here. I mean, oh, I, yeah. there's been no indication of that in any way uh, since he showed up. Yeah, we, we talked about this winter, how worried we were about it because of those rumors that were coming out of Argentina. And doesn't appear to all to be the case. He seems really excited and joyful to be here. Yeah, I think him kind of like being under the wing of uh, Faku and and Frank O'Hara is a good thing. Like Hara, you know, he's uh, he's he's now the 
you know, got the, the, the big cookie cutter home in Prosper and, and live in the, you know, uh, got his kid in the academy and, and, and doing all the things. He's fully invested. He, you know, he may well be one of those guys that retires and is like, yep, yeah, I'm staying. Um, you know, so to, to have, uh, to have Velasco around someone like that is, is good. Uh, with Mara Diaz, you, you had that period where he was definitely a little bit of a loner. Then they brought in a Ruti, then they brought in, uh, Mara Rosales and kind of gave him that little bit of, uh, of a support system to have that already built into the club with two senior players is, uh, you know, is a very good thing for a very good environment for him to come into. Yeah, I want to make sure we get all of this, um, uh, you know, Alan Velasco stuff right up front because it really is the best part of the evening. Um, it is great for the club. And in my opinion, like I said at the start, it's one of the best moments in this club's history. It was a fantastic evening and a really, really solid win. But I, I, I do want to step away from that a little bit and get more into kind of some of the tactics and, and some of the uh, what I think are bigger looming issues uh, with the club. You know, winning and beating Nashville 2 nothing is a fantastic result there's no way two ways around it but that was really built off of uh you know the last mm, 15 minutes of the game in many ways uh once nico had made some tactical changes that i want to talk about um and what i thought was interesting buzz was the game really came alive when frank o'hara subbed in for paxton pomacall and they appeared to change their formation yeah, that, that switching to the four four two thing uh, continues to be a tool that the, this coach is using. It almost seems to come frequently at the same minute mark. And what he told me last week still holds true in this one, that each time they've done it, it's been for a different reason. Um, it, there definitely seems to be a mentality of limiting the game and slowing down the game and compressing the game and then going for it at the end by making some sort of adjustments. Um, some Partially that's the short shift of formations, but partially it's just the way that they have this um, very specific defensive structure uh, that looks like, defensively looks like a W basically, where um, even in possession, you have your, your six and your two center backs and your outside backs have slid up a little bit equal to the six basically, and they keep the structure. So even when you see an outside back flex forward or slide into the middle or whatever, somebody will flex back in like the eight will flex in or the wing will flex back. This defensive discipline of coverage uh, makes it very difficult for the opposition to break you down and, and have success. And that was particularly true against Nashville where they limited Nashville to, to very, very few. I can't remember any run of play opportunities. It was all set piece was all the danger. Again, the FC short, that's going to be a problem. But um, you know, this, 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 stifling of the game and 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 controlling the pace of the game uh, i'm going to come back to this later when we get to the scrimmage the training report because it's going to come up again but this is a specific plan it's not necessarily just it's the we're playing like crap now they did struggle breaking down nashville who's very good defensively that's true you know but the whole idea is to win or be in a game zero zero one one not lose four three right there's a big yeah. big difference this year yeah, no, I get that, but I'm and and I'm I'm I realize I'm what I'm about to say may come off as being a, a hyper negative, but until 
Velasco came on the field, the first 63 minutes of that game was like watching paint dry. Yeah. It was the most boring, unwatchable soccer game I had attended in a long time. And I was getting very frustrated watching this team play a lot of lateral and back balls and be afraid to play balls into people checking back in the middle. Uh, and, and again, if that's by design, that's, I guess, a little bit better to hear. Yeah. Um, uh, and if maybe that's maybe that's the trick. You this the team is what it is, and Nico says we're yeah. just going to shut up shop until the end, and we're going to try to win it late. Well, yes and no. He did tell me that they had a lot of trouble breaking down Nashville. That it was not a good performance for them in terms of both the build shape and the choices that they made. So you're 100 percent correct, and he agrees with you to a certain whether in the minutia or not. I don't know, but on a macro level, Coach Nico agreed with you that it was not a particularly good performance. Uh, in the build and attack forward aspect, you know, so don't, don't feel bad that you felt that way because it was that way. And the coach recognizes that way it's that way, but this coach so far is not willing to sacrifice that defensive integrity to, you know, early in the game, later in the game, there's, there can be a sort of a go for it mentality, but you know, and, and if you watch this team going forward over the next few games, you can even look for that. The people that are listening can look for that, look for the difference of coverage. Cause you'll see, uh, the eights, Paxton or Brandy, you'll see them slide in almost as a third center back when, or you know, or, or an extra outside back in a way when the outside back is going forward a lot of times because they want to maintain this this rigidity of the defense and not get exploited. So um, it, it's not the double overload of Lucci. <laughs> you know, it's going to be a guy swapping in and out and, and occupation of space. That's the big buzzword from this coach at the beginning of the year. So you're all correct, though. It was not a great offensive performance for most of it. It really was the triggers of Velasco's individual creativity and Frank Lahara playing as a more traditional sort of nine that kind of unlocked it in the end. Yeah. Uh, Dan, I don't know if you were able to attend the game Saturday night, but uh, getting to see this team in person for the first time, I, I'm now more convinced than ever that uh, Cervania and Pomacall are doing an insane amount of uh, covering ground in the course of these games. And clearly that's why they're you know, being subbed out when they are, because the, the the work rate those two kids are putting out is just off the charts. And it's all because of the formation and the tactics. Yeah, I think uh, the broadcast never quite does them uh, justice and in, in the amount of off the ball running that they're both doing, uh, you know, back and forth, um, side to side, especially. I mean, you know, this game was kind of the one where Paxton was a little more central, Um and and it was just branding going side to side, but uh, you know, effectively they've been you know covering a, a seventy by seventy square on the field, both playing box to box, side to side. Um, you know, as as they've kind of had those little three man overloads on each side, and you know, stepped in into various coverages. So, Buzz, do we continue to just assume that this is the the work in progress? This is the you know, everybody realizes this is a process, right? Everybody, this yeah. is a process. And part of the yeah. process is we're still figuring out how we're going to create opportunities. Oh, yeah, for sure. And this coach is also one to um, micromanage um, matchups and tweak things based on how the opposition plays to a greater extent than coaches that I have here before. A lot of coaches that I've had the experience of covering are – at least especially early in the season, are very concerned with how they're playing. They want to get their team playing the way they want to play, and then they start worrying about the other team. This coach right away is adapting things 
uh, to the opposition. Uh, and in this game specifically, like the Paxton left-right flip-flop with Cervania for the, all the first half was because of that. Because of the way the opposition played, he wanted Paxton on the right and Cervania on the left so that because those, that's the opposite foot for those guys, Paxton's left-footed and Brain is right-footed. So they wanted to be able to have Paxton be able to swing those left-footed balls and sort of either drop them behind, right behind easily or split through the defense you know, with his left foot from the right side and same with Brandon. So this, the, this flip was specifically designed for Nashville in the way they play. And then he said that Nashville changed at halftime. They changed what they were doing. So Dallas recognized that and flipped them back, Paxton and Svenja back to their normal sides to take advantage of the change that Nashville made. So those more specific matchups and more specific tactical changes are happening sooner and earlier with this coach than they have for other coaches. And I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't know if you want to try and make more hay hay in terms of how we want to play. And maybe this is derailing a little bit your chance creation that you're talking about because he is concerned about the opposition earlier than I might've expected at the same time. It's it's so it's, it's just different, you know, whether it's good or bad, I think remains to be seen. It is definitely different than other coaches that have come through here. Speaking of chance and opportunity creation, we now have two games in a row where Jesus has missed a complete sitter. And uh, at what point do we all start asking each other and wondering about what his form is? And is this a byproduct of the big new $2 million a year deal? How much time do we give Jesus before we start getting a little worried? Oh, I wouldn't say worried yet. I think it's 100% fair to start asking about it. I think you you have to absolutely at this point consider that he's thinking about it, that he wants a goal. You know, if you'd wanted somebody else to take the PK, that's who I would have let do it to get him off the schneid this season. I'm not particularly worried about Jesus yet, but I think he's worried about it. I think he's thinking about it, you know, and stressing a little bit. He looks a little tight to me, you know, when he's gotten the opportunities um, you know, on the upside, he is still playing in the right way. If you, if you buy into that stuff and he does have the relatively good XG and such, if he, if that's your cup of tea, you know, now in this game specifically, you can look at Jesus. If you like that stat, you can look at Jesus and his roughly 0.4 compared to Haro's roughly 0.8 in a much shorter space of time and quickly understand uh, and hopefully that point eight doesn't count the PK for Franco Hara because that would be stupid. Um, it oh, it does, does it? Well, then that's yeah, a stupid that, that's analogy. That's actually then. a point eight shot. Yeah, that's actually really poor then. So never mind. That's a terrible analogy, MLS, for putting that. You should have a non-PK XG. So forget that whole thing. Uh, but the bottom line was Jesus's point four uh, is that means he's still, for me, putting himself in relatively good positions you know, and he'll get one here soon enough. I, I'm not worried yet. So, uh, because the the game changed so much, did you have any particular reaction to Frank O'Hara's performance in the in the you know 20 minutes or 15 minutes, whatever it was, he was on the field? No, he looks just like Frank O'Hara to me. I mean, the same guy we've. I mean, slow as molasses. You know, knows how to play. He can still get things done, even though he's really slow. You know, a little more hold-up style than Jesus is, you know, plays like a higher, more traditional nine. So, you know, it's it's a good change of pace kind of sub. I, I'm perfectly fine with it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice when you've got kind of, you know, Jesus struggling on aerial options to have a guy that's a bit bigger and stronger to 
compete more. Um, you know, obviously the aim of the game was get Walker Zimmerman out of position, and on both goals, Zimmerman followed Hara, dropping back. He he wasn't doing that so much with Jesus. Uh, you know, obviously Hara's a little bit more adept uh, shooting from distance, so I kind of understand wanting to to close him down more. Um, and I've loved Hara's uh, defensive play at the end, being the kind of uh, the floating guy on on those last couple of free kicks and and throw-ins when they were um, you know throwing short and crossing into the box. That, uh, you know, I think he he won a header late on and then um, helped to fire out and uh, clear the loose ball away. That's kind of what you want to see from your late game subs. Yeah, and Buzz FB ref does have non penalty XG, and he had Hara had a zero for the game. By the yeah, way. there you yeah, go. He, yeah. That was his only shot. Yeah, it was. Um, okay, so let's move over uh, to the guys playing on the wing before Velasco got on the field in uh, in uh, Polly Nips. Uh, Buzz, where's the shirt? And uh, <laughs> Hadir Obreon, who wasn't as bad in this particular game as he was in the previous one. <laughs> How do I put that on his shirt? You, I don't know. Uh, put a couple of some pastes in the word Polly. <laughs> Good grief! <laughs> Somebody oh, will wow. create it for you, Buzz. You just yeah. put it in the store and yeah. sell it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Holy cow! Uh, yeah. I. You know. Again, I thought Ariola was good, and I thought O'Brien was okay. You know, it's just. I don't. I don't. Uh, you know, this was a tough team to break down. You know, Nashville's very good. You know, that defensively, um, that's a team that's had Dallas's number for two years since they were created, you know? Yeah. So I, I, I can't look at that game and go, oh, yeah, that's that's a game where, you know, the Wings didn't do – I mean, everybody had problems. Now, listen, Dad had, Dallas had 13 shots on goal – five on goal, excuse me, 13 shots total, you know, and limited national is just five and not even one on target. So, like, that's a commanding home performance – it, traditionally, we would have said that we would like more shots than that at home, but that's right on the money for this team, the way it plays under this coach. That's 13 and 5 on target is a really nice ratio. So I don't have any complaints about the wings. You know, I, it was a very difficult match, and, and Dallas ended up doing what they needed to do. So I, it's fine. All right, but is there any room to have a conversation and and about if this – is Nico doing the right thing by putting this team in a formation that really limits their creative capability and probably doesn't uh, maximize the player's talents uh, or the roster that he has in an effort to just to kind of shut up shop long enough until he decides to open the door and then switch to a formation and put the players on that maybe give them an opportunity to, to score a few goals and win a game. And I, I'm really torn about how I feel about this strategy. Yeah. I think the a factor in that has to be Dan Hunt's mentality going into this winter of the bleeding goals last year. And the number one thing he looked at was the goals against Right. So you're hiring a new coach. It's like, Hey coach, I'm, I'm going to give you this gig, but you got to tell me you're going to stop the goals against so I can buy it. Right. And you start it, team defense is easier than team offense. So it's not surprising early in the season. We have this conversation almost every year that the team defense is better in the beginning than the team offense is. Team offense always takes longer. Individual offense is instinct. Team offense is hard, much harder. So, um, 
so far the results are, you know, relatively decent. You know, I'm not, I'm not, there hasn't been a result that's pissed me off or, or has me like going, man, this is a mess. It looks like a team trying to find its legs, you know, maybe, maybe in another month we'll be worried. And maybe in three months we'll be like, well, this is horrible. What a terrible idea this was. But right now, I mean, it's like, like I said, my instant reaction, right? If you keep games tight, think back to the new England game when Matt had said it was the best mentality told coach, it was the best mentality we've had in years on the road because you can keep the game tight and have yourself in it. And you go against a team that you've struggled with at home in Nashville and you put in a decent performance, keep them shut out and score. You know, it's like what, I mean, if on paper, what more do you want now? Is it stylistic pretty? No, it's a grindy kind of offense. I mean, defense, excuse me. And even offensively, it's a grindy offense until you get these moments of excellence where a guy does something individual and breaks it. So I'm not, I'm not upset or worried at this point. It's not sexy and coach admitted that it wasn't good offensively. So, you know, their identification that it wasn't good, maybe hopefully means it will continue to improve. So at the beginning of the season, we, or at least I did, anointed this the year of Paxton because I'm all excited about this season of Paxton. And so far, I think his games have been pretty solid. But I do think that the uh, that the general media and the fans at large are really starting to take notice, and deservedly so, of his partners in Cervania and Cerillo. Yeah, I'm sure Dan will agree with with this assessment that statistically Paxton has been really good, but we're missing the difference maker Paxton, the little extra something. Now, yeah, in this game in particular, Cervania was my man of the match until Velasco did Velasco things. And I still (laughs) gave, you know, lots of publicity to Cervania because I thought he was phenomenal. It was one of his best games he's ever had, in my opinion, for FC Dallas. I just thought he was literally involved in everything and made a massive difference offensively and defensively. And it's not surprising that like two days later, here came the new contract. I'm sure the contract was done ahead of time or he knew it was done. And maybe that all contributed to his positivity. But I honestly think that kid is really coming to his own as a substantial top level midfielder. And again, the whole plan with those three guys, they're all 22 years old. It's clear now that the plan is let them play in for two or three seasons and see where you are. So uh, I love how early the progression is all three of those guys. And I'm sure Dan would say the same thing. Absolutely. Um, yes. I mean, Sylvania's performance was, was phenomenal. Uh, leading the game with five shots, uh, really having the pass that led to the penalty, having the, the assist on the goal, um, everything, every positive chance seemed to come through him. Um, and, and Surya has been absolutely outstanding defensively. He's uh, really stepped up in times where they've played more of a flat three and he's been forced into that more of a, you know, uncomfortable eight role. Um, even the times where you'll see Paxton or Brandon drop and he'll uh, be the aggressive one out of midfield, pressing uh, the the ball carrier out of the back for the opposition. I think he's really been adept at that. He's, you know, he's picked up a couple of yellow cards, but it's not been, you know, every time he, he he's challenging, he's, you know, fouling a player. Like I think we, we saw a little bit earlier on in, in his career. Um, I haven't checked the numbers lately, but uh, as a, before this game, he was had the most touches, the most positive passes out of the midfield, um, on the entire team, um, just yeah. I mean, 
you know, his deals, his uh, option, he's in an option year this year, so I'm sure we'll expect to see, uh, oh, see a yeah. contract headed his way. That's very soon, too. Yeah, for sure. Has Cerrillo scored for Dallas yet no. in his career? No. And has Cervania scored? I believe so in Cervania. Okay. All right. Just couldn't. I didn't know. Yeah, it's fun to watch those three kids play in person. Uh, there is uh, there is a uh, a lifetime of understanding between the three of them that is very evident when you watch them in person. It do- I don't think it comes across on TV, but when you see those three guys playing in person, it's clear that they've been playing together for a very long time. And I'm sure that just makes Nico uh, as happy as he could possibly be because that's a, a very cool element to the game. And again, Nashville is a tough team to break down and – uh, maybe maybe we'll see more out of that as we talk about Portland here uh, in a few minutes. We also got a lot of Nanu in yeah. this game. The good, the bad, Buzz. Where are you feeling about Nanu? Well, uh, I'm I'm kind of meh, frankly. Okay. I think um, I I did ask Coach about how he thought he did, and he thought he was quite good, and that he, you know, provided a lot of athleticism going forward and got some couple good balls in, but also thought that he was. Nervous because it was the first game, a little, little, little tight, you know. Um, I think all that's true. I don't. Uh, I'll be honest. Sometimes when you watch a player play, there can just be something about him that sits wrong with you, and it's nothing he does specifically. Like in terms of his style of play, it's actually how he moves. It's the way his body moves. Um, he looks really clunky to me and the ball gets caught sort of underneath him some a fair amount. I just don't, I, I like my players to glide a little more. And, and he kind of reminds me of, I don't know, like watching Herschel Walker run or something, which is a strange analogy because Herschel Walker was a great runner, but Nanu kind of feels like that to me, kind of bulls through things. And I'm, I don't love that. I want a guy that glides and slides and slips you know, uh, uh, and it's, so it's just a hundred percent purely my own stupid preconceived, you know, ideas about what a good player looks like, you know, and that's not fair to him at all, probably, except that I don't, I don't think he did anything more than Ima Tuomasi does, you know, to me. And, and I don't see like, I don't watch him play and go, Ooh, I can't wait to watch this guy play 20 games. You know, it's just, he's fine. I guess <laughs> big <laughs> well, endorsement. I know. No, well, I mean, I, I get it. Everybody has preferences about how yeah. they want players to play, but that was kind of my question was, is he an upgrade from from uh, Tuomase, who I think, to be fair, Buzz, you also have a bit of a bias for. So, um, you know, yeah. you've, you've been you've been pushing Tuomase for a while, so I'd, I wonder if part of this is just your own personal biases about the, between the two. Well, you know, for, for my bias for Tuomase comes because uh, when he was in the USL Championship, he – led San Antonio in, in scoring chances created, you know, so he's a, he's an, he's an offensive attacker that creates chances that's being converted to outside back and learning how to defend and gets better as a defender all the time. So I don't know enough about Nano to tell you if he's going to bring those things to the table or not. Um, I don't know if he's going to be an upgrade on, on Emo or not. I don't think Emo has been played bad enough to get benched. I do mm-hmm. think when you bring in a player from Portugal on loan that you're going to, do your best to get him in there and at least see what he's got, you know. And, and I told you before that like the players from this tier of club with this sort of injury or whatever else issues got going on does not have a high track record. So maybe I'm 
cynic and thinking like, man, you got to do something to make me think this is a good idea. Cause right now I don't think it's a good idea. So I'm going to need some converting. So clearly I'm admitting my bias against the guy, which is probably not fair, but it's where I am. It's like, I want to see more than I'm seeing before I'm like, Oh yeah, this has been an upgrade. Okay. Uh, and then, uh, hedges and Martinez, Dan, you got any bones to pick with either one of those guys after the Nashville win? No, I thought it was actually Martinez's best game of the season. Whoa. Dan just complimented Martinez. Oh, I thought you were going to disagree with him. No. (laughs) 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 Martinez loved Um, him. Yeah. And yeah, I I was kind of interested to see the way that they set out the markers on corners. Um, Hedges obviously stuck to um, Zimmerman, but they seemed the way they had. Martinez setup was more that he was there to catch the second ball because uh, they knew every set piece was going to go to to Zimmerman. It's just where where that ball falls to. So it was kind of interesting to see. Uh, you know, uh, I think Paxton at some point was picking up. Um, sorry, not Paxton. Oh, who was it? It was Nani was picking up. I don't remember to be honest. Sapong at, at some point from from set pieces, the marking assignments were a little bit, you know, out of the, out of the orthodox, just to cater for Zimmerman and, and kind of where that second ball would come from. So it was interesting to see how the defenders reacted to that. I thought Hedges did as did as well as he could against one yeah. of the best aerial guys in the league, and and yeah, I thought uh, Martinez did, did well as that kind of attacking, uh, you know, get to the second ball guy. Okay. Farfan, I, I, am I pushing it or being ridiculous when I say at least so far this season, Farfan may be the best signing in the league? Mm, I'd agree. In the league. Ooh. In the league. Tell me, tell me another guy that's been signed that has been that has filled a role as perfectly for his club and for the assignment he's been given as Farfan has for Dallas. I can't well, think of one. Yeah, off the top of my head, I can't think of one either, but I wasn't anticipating breaking down everybody's rosters. Um, I mean, obviously, he's been phenomenal. I'll give you that. I mean, just best in the league is a strong accolade. I mean, it's definitely in the conversation for once for the best uh, trade, you know. Um, obviously, he's a significant defensive upgrade over Ryan, and the loss of offense in this particular system is no big deal. You know, so, uh, you know, it, in terms of fit, it's been an absolutely phenomenal slotting and fitting and, and, and as Dallas said they were going to do right the moves are about fit right now so um yeah I, I it's legitimate question to ask Peter I just don't have an answer for well, it because I didn't know we were doing well, that. okay well let's okay that's fine Let, let's just let's keep it local then of the people that were signed this season I think he's easily the best signing of the season so far now that may change next week with more Velasco yeah um and as well as uh, Ariola has played, I still think Farfan has been the best of the three signings just because we have more sample size. And, man, I'm just telling you, I really like that kid's game. He's really good. I definitely would say that he's, in terms of the fit and the role he's supposed to do, he's absolutely done everything he's supposed to expected to do and were asked to do. So, like, yeah, it's round peg, round hole, yeah. 
Well, you know, it's funny. You talk about having uh, qualities in a way a person plays that attracts or, or turns yeah. you off. And uh, you were applying that to Nanu. Well, I would say in the inverse, I really like Farfan's style of play, his body language, his movement, the way that he uh, looks at the ball and, and receives it and turns and plays and all of yeah. his little skill yeah. sets are all things that I like about him as a player. That I, I think that's all super attractive. And I, and I, man, I've been super impressed with him and kudos to them for making that trade happen. Yeah. You know exactly what I mean. Like you can see a player oh, yeah. and sometimes within like 10 seconds or the first time they touch the ball, you can go, Oh, Oh yeah. You know? And then other guys, you watch them train. You're like, Ooh, you know, clunky. <laughs> so that's well, how I no. was with Nano. It's like, I was, ah. yeah. yeah, no, I'll make, uh, this is not an MLS uh, analogy and I'm certainly not an Arsenal fan, but man, I love watching Odegaard and Smith Rowe play. Smith Rowe's got to be my favorite player in the Premier League right now. I just, there's something about his style and the way he plays the game that I really, really like. Odegaard is a very close uh, second in that, but that's, that's what I'm talking about. And I think you are too. So yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. the style of play. It's the way, way guys play. So, yeah. um, all right. And the goalkeeper, Mr. Paz, I still haven't. All right. Well, I don't want to talk about that. Uh, anyway, how's he doing? Are we, are we, are we happy with him? Is he filling the role? Well, the Dutch goalkeeper? Well, he seems to be, you know, again, uh, they're not giving up a lot. Of, we don't really yeah, get a chance to he didn't get a shot of goal, right? So <laughs> I know um, I, I thought, by the way, absolutely hysterical that the club's all state save of the game was a shot going wide. It happened to be the only ball he touched all day. I thought that was really funny. Um, so, you know, yeah, I mean, fills the spot uh, from watching training. I think his feet are just a little bit worse than Jimmy Mauer. Jimmy Mauer's got pretty good feet. Um, but as somebody, I think, I think it was Eric Ronaldo actually tweeted that uh, old dudes are good for backups. Young guys should play. I was like, wow. Okay. So, you know, in some ways I'm kind of like, if you, if you have six months of this guy, you know, and he's not doing anything to lose the job right now, then he's going to keep the job because you're going to see, A, do we want to actually buy him? And B, you know, you I have a very short window to figure it out. And unless he craps the bed, you know, Maurer's not going to be back in there. Yeah, I do wonder, let's see, so I'm looking at his stats. His goal kicks are launch percentage, more than 40, yes. So it doesn't say how many were completed. That was one of the things that, you know, I think we feel fairly comfortable with um, Jimmy, uh, excuse me, but uh, with Poss, I don't think I've been paying attention to how good or bad his goal kicks are. Yeah, me neither. I don't, yeah. I don't really remember a bunch of like, cause you remember Jesse Gonzalez, he's a blast the ball out of bounds all the time. So you know, we, we used to rail rail on him in the, in the, the breakdowns about like, dude, you're, you're like less than 50% rate on those long balls. You've got to play short. It's gotta be better. You know, it's gotta, and they would work on him with him in training. That's definitely not something they work on pause with. Um, yeah. most of the time they build out. I mean, that's, you know, all right. Uh, I do want to take a minute just to mention the fact that Walker Zimmerman is even more awesome and impressive in person than he has been on television with the U.S. men's national team. It's it's uh, insane to me that he was here with this club from the start of his career. And for whatever happened with him and Oscar, ended up they ended up trading him away because, man, that kid has got the goods. And I'm I'm sure he's going to start at the Azteca here in a couple of, in a few days. Someday I'm hoping somebody will tell me the story of what happened with him and Oscar, because that thing went south bad. 
you know, yeah. So I, I don't, I don't know what happened other than he made a couple mistakes. You know, that Oscar's not usually that unforgiving, so there must have been something else. Yeah, I don't know. Well, yeah. uh, Dan, Dan, it, 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 are, are we? Is it wrong to raise the question that knowing what we know now in 2022, Dallas may have kept the wrong center back? You're saying get rid of Hedges? Well, maybe instead of, yeah, what should they have traded Hedges instead, um, knowing what you know now? I mean, at, at that time, Hedges was the MLS defender That's of the true. year. Okay, um, fair enough, yeah. And Zimmerman was a guy that was prone to having a brain fart every week, which, you know, he's now got out of his system. That's really good. Um, and, you know, that, that, that 2017 season was a really strange one. Um, 2017 or 20 yeah that was the collapse the champions league hangover season yeah when yeah. they went with well, a bunch was, of old guys and then once they got eliminated those dudes all quit basically yeah, yeah. Well, it was it was weird as well because remember he um took that off-season training with some norwegian or icelandic team and he was trying desperately to get on there and and wasn't coming you know wouldn't come back for for pre-season here until they finally were like no we're not signing you well, you remember that he actually came out recently and said that if Oscar would have stayed, that he would have played out his contract and not resigned there, no matter what, because of Oscar. So I mean, like, there's got to be. I mean, we're just oh, yeah, speculating, I mean, I, but there's I, got to be something bigger to that story. Oh, there was. I mean, I was, I'd go to training, um, and you know, you stand in the hallway, speak to Oscar. Oh, you know, how uh, Walker Zimmerman's training? He looks fine. How come he? How come he hasn't been playing for the last few weeks? Oh, he's you know his knees injured. And then I'd talk to Walker two minutes later and he's like, my knee's totally fine. He's just not picking me for some reason. You'd have to ask him why. And I'm like, oh, that's what he told me. Yeah, those were weird days back then. Uh, well, look, I'm happy for him. He's really turned into quite a player. And it's uh, a shame that this happened at this point in his career because I guess he's just a little too old to make the move overseas. Uh, but Nashville is very lucky to have him, and he was he was by and large a beast all night. His uh, it, it, it was uh, fun to watch him play again. All right, anything else about the Nashville game? Do we want to talk about the goal anymore? The the very by the way, I don't remember who it was in the Discord who overlaid the uh, actual messy goal call on mm. top of the video, uh, along with Mark Followell's <laughs> fantastic goal call himself, was uh, a, quite a masterpiece of uh, digital audio work. So congratulations to them. Uh, the only thing I want to I say is that uh, Chris Seitz just followed me on Twitter, so that's a big day. <laughs> Literally seconds ago. <laughs> you're, easy, you're easily satisfied yeah. in your life, aren't you? Buddy? It's a good day. It's a good day. Um, all right, so Dallas two, Nashville zero. That's first, Nashville's first loss of the season and Dallas's first win. Uh, and uh, right now, I think they're after the weekend, they are in eighth place. Buzz, you went to training uh, yesterday, I believe it is, since they've closed Tuesday, Wednesday yep. training. So you went yeah. to Tuesday training. Yeah. Anything uh, important to know from there? Anything surprising? Any Huntsman dumps you'd like to share? Yes, uh, not a Huntsman dump, but... Um, I find it fascinating that this coach has gone in uh, harder. I don't know if hard is the right word. Stronger, larger, bigger for workload management than I've ever seen with a coach. We're three weeks and three games into the season, right? 
and he's already aggressively, aggressively managing workload. Um, and he does it so far that I can find in four ways. And the first one, and I actually talked to him about this. So the first one is the, using the subs. Like you talked about Paxson coming off, you know, with five subs, plenty of chances to get guys off and, and limit their minutes. Uh, you can see this in um, Nanu, who basically he told me had like a 73-ish minute limit. And then they were, depending on how much work he was putting in, and they pulled him off at 75. And Velasco was on a short one. So in hindsight last week, by the way, I was totally wrong to expect Velasco to start. I didn't think about it, that he wasn't going to be the coach. We wouldn't think he was enough, you know, getting the 26 minutes that he did. So Velasco this week, which we'll talk about later, should move up, but won't start, I don't think. So I, I drank the Kool-Aid and bought in, and I shouldn't have. Um, and so the second way that they, he'll manage minutes is through the typical rotation. And then two things happened this week that I've not hardly ever seen before. Um, and they haven't this early in the season is remarkable. He's talked a lot about trying to slow the game down and be patient at midfield and no, not pressing all the time. That's part of the, the coaching and the tactics. But specifically in training, I thought this was fascinating. He put both Paxson and Hayes, not Hayes, excuse me, Paxson and Cervania on Tuesday as a neutral player, which means they can, they go like in a, when you're playing in a drill, they go offense full time, you know, when the ball ch- turns over. But they also swapped in yeah. and out f- for each other. So they each, so even though they were like short of body, they each only played half the drill basically all the time in order to try and limit the load on those two guys. And because he and I talked about the amount of running they're doing and the amount of work they're doing and that it's good, honest work. It's not overwork, but yet they're very aware of the load on those two kids already. And they're trying to limit it by things like that in the drills. And then also he taught, I talked to him about Farfan because they gave Farfan the day off. Like he's in the province, not hurt. He doesn't have a knock. They simply just told him you're not training today. Go over there with the fitness guy and they made him jog back and forth and like they wouldn't let him go over a 60% pace. They made him run a little bit up and down, which is just sort of an activation kind of running to get the muscles going kind of running. So we're three games into this season. The, clo- the uh, This is remarkable to me. The coach clearly recognizes the heat here is going to be unbelievable over the course of the summer. This formation requires an immense amount of work, particularly out of the central midfield or in this case, Farfan, the outside backs. Farfan has no sub coming in for him right now, right? Nanu and Emo are kind of flip-flopping and taking turns almost, it seems like. So Farfan's workload and Paxton and Cervania's workload are already being heavily managed. So to me, that's completely different to see that kind of thing just three games into the season. So that's very, very different than anyone else that's ever gone here. Colin believed in being fitter than everybody else because at the end of the game, a tired brain makes bad decisions, which is true. So he out, he outran and outfitnessed everybody. You know, Paxton, uh, not Paxton, excuse me, Paxton. <laughs> Oscar had his, you know, sit deep and counterpunch to conserve power and momentum and, and ability to score. So this is the adaptation this coach is going through, and it's very different. It's fascinating to me. So that's the big, big thing was the, to see those two things happen in training in one session, and I'd never seen them before. Interesting. Well, uh, is is the fact that you're not getting to see Wednesday training having an impact on on your ability to figure out what's going on, or is Tuesday working out? A little, a little bit. It's because of this coach, um, Colin. You could see the lineup on Monday, like instantaneously. He would know what he was make changing for the weekend. Um, Colin Oscar, Clark. Would, Colin Clark, yeah, Oscar would 
be pretty clear on Monday, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, you you would see guys that were flip-flopping a lot in drills where he was clearly trying to make a decision. But mostly you could see what the talking points were. This coach on I don't go on Monday, so I have no idea, but on Tuesday, every single week so far that I've ever been on Tuesday, is a complete uh, mix where like the teams are clearly designed to be even and they even have all the the groupings are all split up. So like Hedges on Tuesday never is paired with Martinez. He's always paired with somebody else, right? It's at center back, for example, you know, and you might get one starting outside back on the other not. So definitely like whether it's intentionally in order to try and confuse media or whether he just likes to be uh, even like, even for players, sometimes coaches won't want to make it clear who's starting because they want to keep competition. And this coach seems to be a guy like that. Like even when I was able to go on Wednesday, he was still doing that kind of thing. So he's making his tactical adjustments on like making the lineup clear much later in the week than even, even when I was going on Wednesday, that wasn't, it wasn't obvious. He wasn't doing it. So um, it'll be a thing to watch going forward. It'll be hard for me to tell without talking to people, but it seems pretty clear that he doesn't go into tactics for the weekend at all. And so maybe Thursday or Friday, the first Tuesday and Wednesday are about adapting in some concept that they want to try and improve. Like, um, Tuesday this week was kind of about breaking down a four, four, two look, um, assuming that's for Portland, um, like a four man across the middle kind of look, um, that was, you know, what they were working on. So uh, it's, I don't think it's killing me in terms of my ability to predict the, the, the lineup, even if I was going on Wednesday, because he's not sh- tipping his hand that early. I think it, and it's right. as much for the players as it is for, I don't think it's for us. I mean, if he's doing it for us, that's stupid. Uh, and I don't mean, I mean us all media. I mean, I, hopefully he's not doing it for that. I mean, everything you do in training should be, you're doing it for your, your team and for you, not for some media. That'd be dumb. So it's it's uh, just right. it's just keeping the competition fresh and playing people in combinations because he wants to play Tafari with both Martinez and with Hedges too in training. He told me this like three weeks ago because he wants Tafari to be ready to come in with either pair, you know, and, and play. So so here we are. Portland comes to town uh, on Saturday night, seven thirty up in Frisco, back to back home games. It is on TXA twenty one. Uh, will Velasco start? You think, Buzz? I'm going to say no because of my conversation about minutes, um, about how he's slowly building where Velasco is not in my, he said he was shooting for like the 20 to 30 for Velasco last game. So this game, maybe he wants it kind of to be half ish, maybe more like 35 to 40, maybe. So I'm going to predict a early second half sub for Velasco rather than going, because if you start him, he really needs to go 60 and that's too big of a jump. Whereas Nanu, like having gone 75 last game, Nanu can now theoretically go 90 as the next phase, the next step. So I would look for Nanu to be in and try and get the whole game out of him, you know, as much for evaluation, but even more so of like pushing him to the 90 minute limit. And Velasco, I'm going to say, uh, even though he was spectacular and everything about him screams, please start the kid now. I think it's got to be workload for this coach seems to be massive and build up seems to be massive. So, I'm going to say like 55 to 60 minute sub, an earlier sub than last time by about 10, maybe to 15 minutes earlier. So no starts. Nanu starts? I think Nanu starts and, and they try and get the whole game. Farfan will start and maybe get, if they can figure out a way to sub him out. Uh, Ema worked at left back some this week, for example, when Farfan, because Farfan wasn't training, like I told you, workload. So I think Emu might, Emu, Emu, goodness, sorry, Ema. I think Ema might, uh, 
come in some at left back, you know, to try and give Farfan a little of a break, you know. And I think Velasco will come off the bench probably for Oberon again, I would assume. Okay. Uh, Portland comes into town with uh, two wins, or excuse me, two draws and a win. They beat Austin last week up in Portland in a pretty uh, close game, only beating uh, the Broccoli's one nothing after tying LAFC in LA and also New England, uh, just like Dallas did two uh, two. So uh, Portland's always a fun game to watch again. Seven thirty on Saturday. Uh, all right. Anything else about that before we move into the other ancillary, non-necessary on-field stuff? Well, I saw a quote from uh, Giovanni Savarese saying Eric Williams might be back. Williamson, excuse me, might be back this week for Portland, which will be a bummer because he's a really good player if he's back. He's had a hamstring problem or something. So, Speaking on that game with Austin, did you see the shot count for that? It was like 16. Uh, it was like 16, 14 uh, yeah, Portland. Yeah, it was... But- their goal was the only shot on target of the whole game. Wow. Yeah, and I will also uh, say that when I saw the video, I was relieved to find out that the, the the fact that everybody was wearing green of some shade in the field, because it's a turf field, is so green, wasn't as terrible as I thought it was going to be. It wasn't great, and I still don't think everybody should be wearing the same shade of the same color in a game, but uh, I, I felt like I should at least say that since I was... yeah bitching about it earlier well not to trash austin but they played the two worst teams in the league and scored 10 goals and then they actually played somebody good and couldn't score so i, I think that's probably gives you a more you know th- it's only three games but that tells you that people that were like oh best in the league, all that garbage should have known well, who they were playing you know right i mean they got seattle this week so good luck to you yeah i yeah so <laughs> i feel like you will have a much better handle look i thought austin played portland very well in portland Austin is clearly better than they were last year. I For don't sure. think they're as off yeah. the charts good as Austin fans think they were after those first two games. But no. I, they are certainly uh, considerably improved over last season. And uh, the the race between the three clubs is going to be a little uh, different this year. I yeah, suspect. it's funny to see Austin and Salt Lake both in the top three in the West when they were supposed to be down in the bottom. You know, it's a small sample, admittedly. We, we yeah. have to consider the fans of an been around long enough to be downtrodden by years of disappointment just yet uh <laughs> you know last year they they had that really good start on the road and there was a lot of talk there of oh you know obviously you could get get the get the the first round by in the playoffs who do you think get second round well obviously that was very premature um so yeah i mean you know give them a few years of of FC Dallas and Houston like seasons, and they'll be like, "Oh, seventh is a is a really I, nice." I don't, goal. I don't, I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want to dull their enthusiasm, uh, <laughs> yeah. Dan. I'm, you know, I got to appreciate to their enthusiastic it. nature. That this league has a lot of misery in it. Everyone has, yeah. To share the misery will come naturally, Dan. You don't have to, you don't, you don't <laughs> have to pour it on them unnecessarily right up front. It'll happen on its own accord <laughs> in due time. No, no doubt about it. Yeah, uh, like by Charlotte the way, fans of learning. Yes, definitely. Charlotte fans are learning quickly. By Oof. the way, uh, in a in a matter of things that are good, bad, good, bad items. The good is is that MLSsoccer.com has returned the form guide to the standings, mm. which they took away last year, and I'm so excited because it's one of my favorite, uh, uh, you know, tables that they put out there. The bad 
is that some designer knucklehead has decided to color the wind dots as black, the ties as gray, and the losses as white. So instead of the green, yellow, red form table that we all know and love, we get black, gray, and white. Somebody please correct the website quickly, (laughs) because that is the dumbest design choice uh, I can think after putting this. Because the new form guide, by the way, is really nice. The way they laid it out also includes a link to the score and the stats for the game once they're completed. Uh, it's just the color choice or lack of color choice that is driving me nuts. You know what they do on that website? I hate even more than that is that the rosters have first initial uh, for the first name instead of first name, last name. It's first initial and last Why name. Why did they do that? I don't know. It's been that way since the redesign. It's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. So it's like huh. every time I want to see a player, I have to go click on their bio in order to get their actual full first name. You know, because if I can't remember, I don't, I don't have every roster in the league memorized, you know, 30 deep. Sometimes <laughs> I got to look them up. You know, Boy, so it's like I got to I got to really click do. on every name. It's so annoying. The, you, the worst Blue thing Buzz is admitted that in public. Wow. I know, right? The, the worst thing is the stats pages for every game. They've where you used to have that whole thing where you could like pull up everyone's action, click it, get the exact second, yeah. highlight certain ones. You can't do that anymore. It just misses the just a static image. Oh, they're in there. You just gotta they're hunt to find there. them. Yeah. They're hiding oh, they at the bottom still- of the stats page. It's really annoying. No, not not the no, not that not that. I'm looking for the old school passing chart where you could pick a player and um uh and then you could see what all their actions were over the course of the game. That's not still in there, is it? Yeah, it is it's below the stats. If you go to the player stats page, it's down underneath it. That's what I was talking about. It used to be able to like click each one of those actions and it would pop up with the second and everything. Or you could highlight yeah. a certain part of the pitch. Well, you can't do that part anymore. You can still like have all the actions of the different types and sort them and everything. Although everything's now white, which is kind of weird. Yeah, um, no color. Yeah, all you, I you see know, is click passing. Them, it's just bre- a, all I see is passing breakdown, passing network. I'm looking at it right now. Are you on player stats or team stats? Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, I see. Oh, players. To, okay, I didn't yeah, see Yeah, and then I'll well, go I'll down play- below all the players. That's the chart will be down there. Well, I'm on the Dallas-Nashville game, and I'm at the bottom, and there is no chart. It stops after Nashville's stats. You don't Weird. have a chalkboard? Big old huge gigantic field drawn at the bottom? I'm going to have to edit no. this out. <laughs> no, no, no. Huh? It's okay. Well, I'm sure, maybe it's the way my, my site loaded for me or something, but it's I haven't seen it in a while. Yep. <laughs> They did do one really nice thing, though. They put the actual kickoff times in the uh, fixture previews now. Oh, well, that's nice. Huh. Yeah. That is nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, guys, I don't know if you noticed, but I uh, posted uh, it on the Discord and I posted it on Twitter, but it has arrived. <gasps> my, 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 my very own FC Dallas Crescendo jersey with the number zero and Namdar on the back is here in all of its magical glory, and I can't wait to wear it out in public. Yeah, you're going to wear it to a game? I will, yeah. I will wear it to a game. I I want an over-under on people who ask you who Namdo is. I bet it's like 10 plus. It's it's Namdar, sir. Oh, see, Sam, okay. um, uh, And I bet it's less than three. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's a pretty niche thing. Yeah, that's a pretty all-in bit to have gone and gotten the jersey. 
Hey, there's there's two thousand two hundred and fifty three people out there who who may come up to you and say, "Hey, I appreciate you. I voted for you." <laughs> That's <Yeah>. right. <laughs> Somebody sent me a, a text that at their polling station by their house, Namdar's sign is the only one that's still there because nobody's come and taken it away. <laughs> all the other candidate signs are gone, and his is just the one sitting out in the middle of the yard all by itself. I assume he didn't win. I don't. I don't pay didn't pay attention. No, he didn't, and he got he very. He came few votes. fifth of six candidates. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's too bad. So sad. It really, it happened at a very unfortunate time because I had already gone through an incredibly difficult process of finding somebody that would even make me the jersey in the first mm. place. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, and then that turned into a whole thing. And by the time I got it, the whole Namdar phenomena had kind of died on the vine a little bit. So uh, yeah. I may have ended up with the most ridiculously <laughs> worn out, old, forgotten uh, joke in the on the books. But uh I will hang out with Chet. Yeah, that story is going to be crazy forever. (laughs) The SC Dallas Nandar story. And so you'll be able to tell the Jersey part of that story every time we ever tell that Nandar story because that's a crazy story. Yeah. All right. Very good. All right. Anything else we need to talk about before I go to bed? Uh, I went and saw North Texas scrimmage against Dynamo Dose. That was kind of cool. Oh, yeah. How'd that go? Fine. Uh, Dallas is going to be really young. I think I think I have a lot of academy kids. Kind of knew that though, right? Yeah, but I mean, even more than I thought. Um, you know, right now anyway, they don't have a lot of homegrowns coming down. You know, because the only one they have really is Colin Smith and Antonio Carrera. Antonio just turned eighteen yesterday or today, whatever it was, and Colin Smith is nineteen, I think. So those are the only two guys they have down, and so they're other than Blaine Ferry, who was sort of is a Dallas player and sort of isn't. Um, they, they start only one Academy guy in the game, but then they had like a whole slew, the whole team came in. And so like, they were pretty even against Houston for the most part when they had all their signed players and their couple of homegrowns. But when they rotated in 10 Academy players, that it wasn't so good as you can easily imagine against Dynamo, which had, you know, five homegrowns down from their first team and, um, so it's going to be a young team. I think it's going to be really young. It's shaping up like the more I talk to people, the more it looks like the, uh, the MLS Next Pro is going to be, you know, homegrowns, lots of academy kids, and very little older kind of guys. Even Rochester, who has some older guys, seems like they signed Jabron Rayo, uh, the the North Texas kid, FC Dallas kid, which was weird because he got he get, he's the one that got invited to first team. Uh, spring camp and then it didn't show up. So he's apparently joined Rochester. That's why he didn't show up. So as far as that goes, that kid should have moved to USL Championship in my opinion, but that's a different discussion. So anyway, it was cool to see them play. Um, I thought uh, Pomadu was going to be more vocal on the sideline. He's taking his cues a little bit from um, Nico. You know, both of them are much more reticent on the sideline. Um, you know, not that Quill was demonstrative or super talkative like Lucci, not like Lucci was, but they're both considerably quieter than Lucci and less talking than Lucci, which I, I applaud. I, I thought Lucci overtalked. One of his weaknesses was overtalking. So, okay. Well, uh, when does the season start for them, Buzz? Uh, roster deadline is this week. Their first game is next weekend. I believe they, the whole next pro thing launches. Most of the teams are playing in stadiums 
not of their first team. They're mostly going to play in teams that are season stadiums that are like five to 10,000 seats. Almost all of them have the name of whatever two, you know, or dose or something like that. Orlando city B aside, there's only three teams that have Tacoma, um, real monarchs and North Texas soccer club. The only ones that aren't named their first team plus two. So, um, kind of boring on that front, but, um, hmm. It'll be fun. See, and they're all going to be on TV. Every game is going to be streamed. And um, okay. I think there's going to be some kind of game of the week thing. I'm not really sure about that 100%, but there'll be some sort of more special broadcast. It'll be like the broadcast for North Texas has been in the past. I don't think it's been different than that for the most part. But I really like watching that play. And I'm actually really excited that it's going to be more Academy kids in it because there's a couple of kids. You know, like I've been talking about this talent bubble, this 05, 06 talent bubble. Those kids are some of the ones that are now going to be involved in this mix, and so I'm interested to see which one of them, which ones of them are going to rise up. You know, there's a there's there's not a Peppy in this group, you know, now that Corcoran's gone, but there's um you know there's definitely plenty of pros in there, and I can't wait to see which ones that they're actually going to be because you know this this is how we weed out you know this team. I'd like to start a campaign that for next season they change the name uh, from North Texas Soccer Club to Lil FCD. L I L apostrophe, Lil F C D. Yeah, it is that's, that that's what for I want. Uh, Dallas that's spelled D A L L A S or D A L A A S. No, uh, the 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 proper spelling of Dallas. I just like oh, it to okay. be Lil F C D. You know, <laughs> instead of like F C D Juniors or Two or Dose, I think that'd be the cool way for dallas to go and differentiate themselves that's just okay maybe not okay well we'll end it there then we'll do a smooth dismount into an ending dan uh thank you for your time and insight today sir likewise please more videos of uh mr and mrs crook dressed up as the hatter mascots for uh luton town (laughs) good win today by the way thanks yeah i was happy with that four nil i see is he up in uh Fifth place now. You're getting there. Hey, we'll so be in the close. Premier League soon. You might. Uh, you just might do it, Dan. I can't, On the I can't budget of a League Dan. One club, that would be hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. Dan, Dan Crooks, Luton Town in the Premier League. That would be a great story. All right, yeah, we'd be uh, we'd lose every game except the two against Chelsea because they're even poorer than us. <laughs> wow cold very very cold all right thank you dan buzz thank you for all your insight and uh nuance on the club my friend oh you're welcome i want to give a shout out to dan's new um things we've learned feature he's kind of doing the things i see the breakdown he's just sort of taking that over and i think it's going really well i think dan's doing a great job so you guys should go read those if you're not because they're awesome they are good good stuff dan They are good. This is Steve Riles again. Remember, Third Degree is sponsored by Soccer 90, located at Toyota Stadium next to the National Soccer Hall of Fame. Check out their wide variety of Premier League, MLS, and national team gear, and shop Soccer 90 for all your FC Dallas needs. All Third Degree listeners receive 20% off when you use the code Degree at checkout on Soccer90.com. Some exclusions may apply. All right. Well, thank you, FC Dallas Curious Fan and Celebratory. We'll talk to you next week, hopefully on another victory episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Velasco!